Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation on Sin, your favorite destination for Asian music and culture. I'm your AP, and we just grew to some amazing R&B tracks, including Duan Fa by Liu Koi and Rockstar by Jay Chung. In addition to me, you'll also be hearing from our fantastic APN hosts, including Leisha, Tracy, Zenya, and Ethan. The theme for tonight's show is all about movies. We'll be sharing our thoughts on the recent films we've enjoyed, like Past Lives, Nimona, and a selection of captivating Wes Anderson short films. And don't miss our movie news segment, where we'll be discussing the English cast announcement for The Boy and the Heron, the latest and most mysterious masterpiece from Hayao Miyazaki. And if you guys remember, we also talked about it couple of weeks ago, I think it was more like months ago, but we talked about how mysterious it was because they decided not to release any promotional material other than a movie poster. So yeah, it's pretty exciting that it's out and there is now an English cast. This is Asian Pop Nation on Sin and if you want to continue to support our activities here on Sin, visit giftnow.com.au slash save sin. Hello, it's Asian Pop Nation on Sin. We've just played some fantastic tracks for you. First up was Moto Princess by Triple S Evolution from their latest EP, followed by Holy Moly by Ive. And we wrapped it up with Honey or Spice by Lightsum. Now it's movie time. We're going to talk about the much hyped Korean film Past Lives. Our hosts, Xenia and Ethan, are here to give you their take. No more waiting. Let's pass the mic to Ethan. Hello, and welcome back to Asian Pop Nation. We are going to be talking about a couple of movies that we have recently seen that feature Asian people or are made by Asian people or have stories surrounding Asian people. A couple of months ago, we talked about this very special movie by A24 um, called Past Lives with Celine Song that Xenia and I have, in fact, watched recently. I'm going to throw it over to Xenia now um, because I'm curious to hear what she has to say about the movie. Ah, uh, yes. So, Past Lives, A24 of Everything Everywhere All at Once fame. High Expectations, another Asian-centric story, this time directed by Celine Song, and it's more down-to-earth, less multiverse. Uh, it's about Nora and Hae Song, who are two childhood friends who are wrecked apart because Nora's family decide to emigrate to the US from South Korea. And decades later, they sort of reunite for this fateful week in New York City where Nora is living and they confront destiny, love and choices and Nora's husband, who's an American, Arthur is kind of there. And so this is sort of like a love triangle thing that's going on and hearing that it was going to be like this romance of what could have been, what should have been, I was really excited. But then when I finished watching it, I was thinking this didn't really feel like the romance I was looking for. There wasn't really anything that showcased why they liked each other, aside from like they were friends when they were kids. It was nothing in terms of like their personalities or humor or intelligence or anything like that. It was just like, you remind me of South Korea in my home. And I miss that. And I love you for that. That was kind of it. That was really, really all it was. And um, I think, if anything, I felt bad for Nora's husband, the white guy, <laughs> in this Asian story. There was even the scene where they were like lying in bed, and Nora's talking about how Sung's coming to visit her in New York. And Arthur was like, you know, if this was a movie, 
the audience would want you and I to break up so you can be with him because you have a far more interesting story you know your childhood friends reunite and fall in love again you and I we got married because you needed a green card <laughs> and I was like oh Arthur it's okay so if anything if it wasn't the romance that I got from it it was more about how I guess like the immigrant experience I suppose if you if you try to make it I'm trying to install meaning onto this where there probably is you know is just to justify saying that I swear this might be a kind of good movie if you think about it like Nora is sort of using Heisung as like a connection to her homeland and she misses that and it's like an immigrant story of not really belonging to any two countries and trying to reconnect but it, there's nothing really there you're too too western now to really feel like you belong so yeah by the end of the movie there was a lot of Asian women who were crying and <laughs> there, there was a lot of emotional moments I suppose that resonated in their lives um but Ethan take yes. it away with your negative opinions <laughs> I think to its credit, I think the movie is shot really well. And I think it, it looks really like nice and aesthetically pleasing. And it's got like a lot of good vibes, which I think is the film's strong suit. I, I There is one thing that I really liked about it is that in a lot of, there are a lot of sequences where in the background, when they're in a public place, all the background cast members, like extras are all couples. I thought that was a really cool pickup. Like if, if you notice, like sometimes two characters will be talking in the front and all the actors in the backgrounds are in a couple. I think that's really interesting. Also, the guy lives in one part of Seoul that I stayed in for about four nights. And then he there was a scene where he was like on the train and then he was like looking at all the other couples and getting jealous. And then they'll be like, this is your stop. This is the stop that you'll be getting off at. And I'm like, oh my God, that's me. That was me. That was you. I felt that way in New York as well. When they were in New York, I was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of where my cousins live. (laughs) I've been here. I've been to this (laughs) merry-go-round. It looks really like nice and I think part of what makes the movie so emotionally resonating with other people is that the characters are so like they kind of try to personify this whole idea of like soulmates and like destiny and so there are some really good sequences throughout there's a really good scene of like long distance relationships and like how they try to like navigate time differences to try and like call them regularly um even though they're all like busy with their own commitments in life I think that's really powerful and the girl obviously in front of me was crying I assume because she had similar experiences but the characters are so hollow so I feel like what she's done is she's tried to put she's trying to just let other people self-insert their own stories into these like bland generic characters so that they can be like oh my god that was me and so on and so forth and build their own world around it because there is like no justification for why these two are soulmates to begin with and there is like no chemistry behind their characters and on the other hand you have Arthur who's like I suppose a more like practical real world version of what love looks like and there, there is a scene that I really distinctly remember about how he learned Korean to like try to like l- understand more about his wife's culture. Her, her inner and the world. Wife, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like her inner world and like this really intimate moment of how she like learned a whole language to like be a part of her world. And like the main character like shrugs it off. It's like, oh, that's so annoying. Yeah, Which I feel like is the oh. most insulting way. Because it's like, I don't even think the director or the filmmaker understands like that is like one of the most purest forms of like love and affection. And yet, like, I think they've just tried to romanticize this idea of, no, we want, like, destiny. We want, like, true love. And, like, true mm. love is something that happens by fate. 
And like, I'm not gonna say what happens in the end, but the ending is so insulting. Nora like doesn't it. deserve Arthur, that's for sure. Oh no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so upsetting to watch. Like, I, if if anyone's watched it, and if they do like it or if they don't like it, definitely let us know. Because, um, yeah, yeah I just don't, I don't know. see it. It, was just, it seems like the biggest disappointment for me this year. Oh my god! Um, no, I was gonna oh. say this is so crazy because I've only heard like good things about this movie ever since they started premiering and everything. My entire letterbox is just like five stars, four and a half. <laughs> and then like Xenia's is four stars. And then I go I down four to stars because Hey Song was like, I think I was just getting a lot of Tony Leong vibes <laughs> of, of pining. You and, are like... not beating the allegations of being a Tony Leong simp. <laughs> and but yeah, I was going to say, as I went down, I was like, oh, Ethan with the three stars. What's going on here? Because this is like easily one of the more like hyped movies I've seen like around the film space. So it's kind of crazy hearing the both of y'all being like, ah. it could have been. I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't what I was expecting or looking for. And yeah, that whole sequence of like, I you know, you when you dream, you sleep talk in Korean, and I learned Korean just so I could understand what you're dreaming about was like the most heartbreaking thing but there's a lot of moments like that I think the dialogue at times is very like, poignant and poetic but the characters just don't have the depth for us to like really understand them from from what they're saying to really connect with them aside from being like hollow shells that say pretty things that we can relate to in our lives maybe yeah yeah I was thinking because with the way you guys are describing it I'm like do you think the intention is like specifically so that you can self-insert and be like oh my god this this has happened to me before and that's where the relation and the pain and the and the sorrow all this stuff comes in rather than i did get teary-eyed there was Mm -hmm. this moment just from them like entering the u.s airport the first time they moved to u.s the u.s and it was like being so different to south korea them talking to the customs officer in english the first time they use english in the movie or like them choosing their names um, they like English names. There's just moments like that where you're like, oh my god, yeah, like so I remember. Just like those those moments where you 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 can you don't really see them in those migrant stories. So it was very down to earth, but yeah, saying like the characters, you couldn't. I couldn't tell you anything about Nora's personality aside from like she wants to be a writer and she's from South Korea. Yeah. <laughs> And Hair Song has like no personality whatsoever. No personality. No whatsoever. personality. Oh my god! But apparently he's like Tony Leung, which he's like least... a, he's like a lost puppy. He's like I I love you. Notice me. Um. <laughs> this guy meets this girl like once every twelve years for like a couple days, and then like he builds his whole life around her. Uh... What a simp! <laughs> <laughs> he's such a simp, but he's like a, a handsome simp. <laughs> You are tuned in to Asian Pop Nation on Sin, where you guys just heard a couple of epic hip-hop tracks, starting off with BTB by Bombing Tiger, which is from their album January Never Dies. And before that, you guys heard Power by Priya Raghu, which is from their album Santa Sum. And even more before that, at the very start, you guys heard Thank God We Survived by Kumachan featuring Sawut and B.R. In our next little movie segment we will be talking about the creator a bit of a sci-fi movie about um robots and ai um which did not get the most raving reviews but some of our members here at apn had some contrasting thoughts they'd like to share and so without further ado i shall cut right to xenia but anyway let's talk about a movie that perhaps didn't do as well in the critic sphere i'm just saying Ethan, this is a fact <laughs> 
Yeah, this movie has a lot more explosions and big gunfire and fight scenes, which maybe past lives would have been better with. Um, but, you know, anyway. Do you know what? Actually, I think past lives would have been really good if they did, like, an everything everywhere, like, dimension swapping thing where they, like, jump across different timelines and they're like, oh, this... Because that was what they were trying to do in, like, a theoretical discussion where of, like, what if in, in another, this lifetime... Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, her, like, actual husband is just, like, sitting there, like, okay, sure, do that, I guess. <laughs> no, but yeah, um, sorry, anyway, The Creator, <laughs> um, which is a movie that came out a couple weeks ago, and I watched it this week. It's directed by Gareth Edwards, who did the Godzilla movie, and um, Rogue One, it's very Rogue One-esque, so if you like that movie, you'll like Rogue Two. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it stars um, a pretty big cast, including John David Washington, who was in Tenet, um, as well as Gemma Chan and Ken Watanabe and a whole bunch of other people that we love. Now, The Creator is an original story, an idea by Gareth Edwards himself. So it's not an adaptation of a book or another movie or a franchise or anything. It's an original idea. Um, and I think the most interesting thing about this movie is that it has a very small budget of $80 million. Now, for reference, most of the big budgets that came out this year, um, everything from Indiana Jones, like The Flash to Transformers, even The Little Mermaid, They've all had budgets around 200 million. Um, I think from somewhere I read Dune had about 165 million. So the fact that they did this at half that budget is insane to me because it looks phenomenal. Like it genuinely is probably one of the best looking movies I've seen in a very, very long time. Um, and I will get to why that is in a bit. But the story about the creator is basically in a near future where AI has become sentient and it's become a part of human life. But there is clashing between humanity because obviously the Americans are very against AI and they think it's going to rule the world and take over the society. So they want to like exterminate AI across the globe. Whereas a lot of the Asian countries now called New Asia have actually um, kind of sided with AI and kind of integrated them into their population. So it's a lot of American military troops going on excursions into the rural farmlands of Vietnam and bombing villages of like families and the AI assistant families as well. So yeah, the, the political allegories of this movie is super strong, backed by a really cool sci-fi world. Um, and I think why this movie is so good at using its budget is because it films like on location. I think he filmed it with like a $4,000 camera, which he then edited on his phone like on the go while they were filming so that they could like cut the editing time as much as possible. So by the time they had filmed across like 80 different locations in Asia, they just gave like a cut to the VFX artist and say, this is the film. Can you just make the VFX films over it? So you don't have to like create any extras or like do different versions of it and stuff like that. I think that's really awesome. And you get some really great landscape shots of like Vietnam or Japan or Thailand. And it's just such a gorgeous looking movie. I probably shouldn't talk much about the spoilers. Um, it is quite a generic AI sci-fi movie. Um, and some of the scripts are really tropey. Like you can guess the word, like what they were about to say and stuff like that. But it looks phenomenal. And it has such a strong like Asian centric narrative as well, since most of it is set in New Asia. Um, so if you love like Blade Runner, if you love Rogue One, it's definitely something you want to check out because it is awesome. Anyway... <laughs> Were most of the characters American or Asian? Like, does it take a particular side as the sort of audience's reference point? 
so it follows John David Washington, who is like an American military guy. Um, and he's like dropped in New Asia because he's supposed to achieve this mission of like retrieving this like girl. But then once his like troop goes away, he's like left by himself and he kind of has to figure out for himself like what his morals are and where he stands and like what he actually like believes in. And it's really cool when you see him like work with like Ken Watanabe or like Gemma Chan as well, who are both great in the movie and have a very significant role in the movie as well. No, yeah, it's just super cool like having like scenes where like characters are fighting and they're talking Japanese and it cuts to like, you know, like a family in Vietnam, like just like this diverse world. And I think Gareth Edwards is one of the best directors when it comes to scale and like really showing like how big different landscapes or different like architectural designs are. Like you see that with Godzilla or like Rogue One. There are some sci-fi architectures in this that are like so massive monstrosities that they like put in the background of like these massive fields of like rural Asia and it looks phenomenal. It's so good. So if you guys like very pretty sci-fi, maybe check that out. Don't look at the reviews, just check it out. (laughs) This is Asian Pop Nation, your resident Asian music and pop culture show right here on Sin. You guys just heard a collection of Taiwanese and Korean tracks, starting off with Spark Me Up by Vian, B.Y., Choil B, Son Simba and Diesel. And before that, you guys heard Through the Night by Hogan T. And at the very start of this little collection of songs, you guys heard Every Time by Every Days and Oh John. The next little movie that we will be talking about is called Nimona, which is a little fun little film that uh, has been thrown around quite a bit since 2015. But it is out now and Alicia recently had the opportunity to watch it. And so she thought, why not share some some of her thoughts on APN? So without further ado, I will pass the mic right along to the team. Um, yeah, so moving on to the next movie that we wanted to talk about, I heard Leisha watched a movie on Netflix that she is very passionate about. Hi! <laughs> yes, since we're having this little like movie corner here at APN, I wanted to spotlight this little movie that... I actually, let me paint the picture here. This was way back in PAX. Me and my friend, she was staying over in my place and I was like dead exhausted. But then she was just like, hey, Alicia, have you seen Nimona? And I was like, this has been on my watch list for like ages. And she's like, oh, you should totally watch it. She did not give me any other hints. So basically I had in my vision, lighthearted goodness, that would be a nice movie to watch as I wind down after a very stressful PAX. I sit down, this was at like 11pm, watching it, and I came out of the movie crying, sobbing, throwing up by the end of it. So it is clear that this movie had a little effect on me, and now I am here a few weeks later on APN wanting to talk about it. But yes, I wanted to talk about the animated film called Nimona, which is directed by Nick Bruno and Choi Huane. And it's actually based on a graphic novel made way back in like 2015, which was done by N.D. Stevenson. This movie specifically revolves around a knight framed for a tragic crime. And he basically ends up being teamed up with this scrappy shape-shifting teen to kind of prove his innocence. That is kind of the basic synopsis. The knight, which is the main lead we're following, is Ballister Boldhard, voice acted by Riz Ahmed. I love that man. And the teen, which is the girl herself, Nimona, is voice acted by Chloe Grace Moretz. And a special other third character who's part of like the main cast is 
Ambrose Goldenloin, what a name, which is voice acted by Eugene Lee Yang. My hype for this movie primarily came from the cast because, I mean, I love Riz Ahmed, I love Chloe Grace Moretz, but I especially loved Eugene Lee Yang. Especially if any of you guys keep up on like YouTube world, he's part of like Try Guys, Try Guy BuzzFeed fame way back then. He's always been an online persona I've always like lashed into, not because he was the only Asian of the Try Guys, but he's also been very open about like his journey, like coming out as like queer, but eventually doing like a whole short film about being like Asian American, but then also slowly finding out that you're gay and then kind of the clashes between like traditional Asian family and all that stuff. Anyways, great short film, but I've always had a tangent with him specifically. And he was heavily like hyping up this film when it was coming out because one big part of the promo and what got people really watching is the fact that the main two male characters, Ballister and Ambrose, are in a very open gay relationship and go through a lot of challenging relations in this movie. But yeah, this whole movie has like a very crazy backstory in terms of how it even came up. Initially, I think it was picked up by Blue Sky Studios of Ice Age fame, if you will. They were keen on picking up Nimona and turning it into a film. They acquired the rights. But then at the same time, this was during a time where Disney was doing their whole like acquisition era. And they got into Blue Sky Studios. And then the film got delayed all the way to like 2021. And then one day Disney shut down Blue Sky Studios. So this film was just poof, gone, even though it was reported that the film was already like 75% done. And they already had like a very solid fan base who loved the graphic novel, all being like, oh my God, what the hell? I hate you, Disney, like all those moments. But then in a surprise, like turn of events around like, I'm gonna say maybe like, the end of last year, like the start of this year, it was being revived by Anapura Pictures. And this was actually their first animated film under their belt. And it was also being distributed specifically by Netflix. So this was like the one rare Netflix win that they did. This was like their one winning moment where they actually were able to revive the story that everyone thought was dead. Now we're here and the movie is out. And oh my god, the movie is so, it's just so good. Initially, I went into watching this thinking it was much more of a lighthearted watch, especially if you've seen the trailer. It's very much like you're following Riz Ahmed's character, Ballister, who's like this very like soft-spoken, like he he's a knight who's being like treated as a criminal because people think he killed their queen in their kingdom. The funny thing about Riz Ahmed being cast in this role is that it like very much mirrors a previous role he's been in um, in the HBO miniseries called The Night Of, where he plays a student from Queens who is accused of killing his um, girlfriend. And the whole oh. thing, like they never really have like, is he guilty or is he not? You never really know. And I feel like someone watched that and was like, yes, but what if we had the same thing, but he's a cartoon, like <laughs> fake mercenary or something like that. So yeah, he's kind of been typecast. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, in this case, it's like uh, he really wants to prove that he's like not this like criminal or whatever. 
again, this story, Rizamit playing Ballister. Ballister's very like soft-spoken guy who's very dedicated to his role of like being a knight. So even though he's being accused of like killing the queen in their kingdom, he's very adamant about like trying to prove his innocence in the most like lawful, law-abiding citizen way he can. And then the kind of humor that comes with it is that Nimona sees that, oh, this guy's being framed as like the biggest criminal in their kingdom because he killed the queen. I want to be his sidekick because she's evil and and all that stuff. She's basically kind of like, I see some people make a comparison of Nimona and Spider-Punk from Into the Spider-Verse would be very good friends because they're both very like anti-institution. They're like, Anti-monarchy. <laughs> yeah, anti-monarchy. Cyberpunk kind of has a more like cool, like kind of vibe to it. Nomona, she's like a teenager. She's very loud and jumpy and energetic about the whole like, let's kill a bunch of these knights. And Nomona goes to Bowser and being like, oh, so you killed the queen? This is great because now you're a villain and I want to be a sidekick. I want to be a sidekick and we can like destroy this entire place. And he's like, what? I want to prove my innocence. <laughs> what? And then this is where, like, the humor for this movie is primarily revolving around. It's, like, these two of him constantly being like, no, but I'm trying to be a good guy. And she's constantly being like, no, you need to accept your fate. You're a villain now. Nobody wants you. That's where the humor comes in. But at the same time, this is where I guess one of the main themes of the film kind of ties in. Because in their world, it's like a kingdom setting. So it's like medieval, but a futuristic medieval type of setting as well. There's a lot of, I guess themes about where your place in like society the hierarchy how people see you wanting to be accepted is like a big thing and where these two characters specifically bond over is the fact that they feel like they're excluded from society completely Nomona gets called a monster all the time because she can shapeshift and a lot of that leads into the climax, which I'm not going to spoil, but it's just, whoa. I think a big reason why I really, really liked this film was a lot of stuff that happened in the climax. I think if this was a movie that I saw as a kid, it would have <laughs> it would have done a lot of good things for me mentally. Not to go into depth because it probably will involve a, haha, trigger warning, but... I don't know, as somebody in the past who's had a lot of like mental health issues revolving around haha depression, this sort of movie kind of tackles stuff along those lines in a, like a way that as somebody who's been through that sort of boat before was very relatable, but at the same time, because it's through the medium of animation, they visualize it in such a way which is not only gorgeous, but so like, oh my god. It just perfectly describes the sort of feelings you have when you get into these sort of mind spaces in a visually stunning, relatable way that cannot be articulated into words. And just some shots really like got to me. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, it was so gut-wrenching, guys. I don't even know. But yeah, no, that's like one of the big things I really like about it. And I really like, I guess, the romance aspect between Ballister and Ambrose. They have a very complicated relationship because Ambrose still works in like the Knights. Like he's part of the system that is purposely trying to take down Ballister and Nimona. So they have a very like, like they're together, but then they also have a bit like, no, we shouldn't be together, blah, blah, blah. But it's done in such a very like cute and precious way. 
it's so openly gay guys it was just so relieving to see because i've been so used to especially in animation world queer relationships always being in the subtext or like ooh, like you gotta look between the lines and then you see oh they said the specific one line which is said lovingly and that means they're together da, da, da. but this was like very openly like you know these two guys are together I don't know. I could just tell with this movie that the people who made it really had a love for the graphic novel and they really wanted to show it in the medium that they really think fit best, which was in the animation form. And I think they utilized it perfectly. And I'm not saying this is like a perfect, perfect movie because I think if you're somebody who, for example, if you watch kids' cartoons and you there's like certain humor that you hear all the time, you hear it and you're like, oh, this is definitely targeted for the kids. It does have some of that humor but it also just has genuinely some very heartwarming moments. And I would really recommend if you just want to watch a really, just genuinely really nice animated movie, give it a watch. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> You've convinced me, Leisha. I think I'm going to go watch it. Um, <laughs> hopefully audience members can go watch it as well. We are Asian Pop Nation, and you guys just heard a collection of wonderful Asian pop tracks, starting off with Blue by Kelmiko. And before that, you guys heard Prince Shotoku by Wednesday Capanella. And even more before that, at the very start, you guys heard an electro pop song called Hantu by the queer Malaysian Australian artist Dylan Tai. Now, coming up next, we will be talking about some Wes Anderson short films. And if you've been tuning in to APN for a while, you know that Wes Anderson has a special place in our hearts for some of our APN members. So without further ado, I will pass the mic right along to the team. So far on the show, we've talked about quite a few films, Past Lives, The Creator and Nimona, and we felt very differently about every one of these films. Next up in line, we have on the list the Wes Anderson short films based on Roald Dahl that were released um, at the end of September very recently. These are four films. The longest of them is only around 40 minutes. That's The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. And the other three are about 15 minutes long. These are respectively The Swan, The Rat Catcher and Poison. And they were all released one after the other on consecutive days, all on Netflix. You might be wondering, Asian Pop Nation, why are you talking about Wes Anderson, isn't he the whitest director alive? I don't know if I would agree, but he's probably up there. Um, but the main thing is that the series features two British Indian actors. First and foremost, there is the wonderful, the amazing Dev Patel. Silent shears are erupting all around the virtual studio right now. And also Ben Kingsley. People still think that he is a white man, I guess because his name, but no, he's half Indian. And also the rest of the cast is very magnificent. It's extremely British. First of all, we have Benedict Cucumber Patch, Mr. Sherlock. Uh, and then we have Ralph Fiennes, Mr. Voldemort. And we have Richard Iwadi, Mr. Moss from the IT crowd. And he, also we have a wonderful man called Rupert Friend, which is such a great name, Mr. Friend. He doesn't appear in the main short story, which is Henry Sugar, but he does appear in uh, the other short films. Now, this is such an interesting series of short films, wouldn't you say, Ethan? Um, because the script for this is literally excerpts taken straight from the Raldal stories. And when I say taken straight, I mean taken straight, including like all the narration and like the I said, he said, like all the actors are literally delivering their lines and then saying, 
I said to the camera. So they'd be like, why did you do that? I said. And then the actors would like look into the camera, like turn from the person they're talking to into the camera to say like the I said part. And uh, all of the short stories are in this style. Leisha, are you looking at me with like a mixture of wonderment and disgust right now? No, I'm just like, it just reminds me of when, you know, you're in English class and you have to do a sign reading and it's a play and everyone in yeah. the class is assigned a character and they're verbally saying like, oh, da da da. And that's what Hamlet said. It's like giving me those throwback. And I'm like, whoa, they're actually saying that in the film? <laughs> like, yes. Like <laughs> Actually, you're right. Your your description of it is like kind of apt. Like obviously, um, Wes with these short films has taken a lot of inspiration from like theater productions and like stage productions. And someone on Letterboxd uh, described this anthology series as um like using binoculars at a weird play, um, which I love a lot. It, it does feel like using binoculars at a weird play because it's very very artificial. Like Wes Anderson has this whole fascination with things that are artificial he likes making movies that don't look realistic he likes using miniatures things like that things that don't look like cgi realistic and in this series of short films he really takes it to the extreme they'll literally be willing set pieces in and out like painted set pieces and there are like stage hands which appear throughout these short films just like moving stuff around turning lights on or like putting props in different places literally handing props to the actors at some point, they literally give them boxes that say like property department, rat puppet or something, and the actor will open the lid and take it out, stuff like that. And I think in Henry Sugar, there's even a scene where Ben Kingsley is literally changing his costume while narrating on screen. Like it's extremely, extremely meta. The whole time, it's kind of like screaming at you. We're just putting on a little story. I don't remember much about what Wes Anderson's like first half of his discography. Uh, discography. <laughs> New Wes Anderson single dropping now. His mini <laughs> album. No, so I don't remember much about Wes Anderson's filmography in like the first half of his career. Yeah. But especially towards the later end, the movies that I've seen recently, he's been very involved in like the whole idea of like not just breaking the fourth wall but like having multiple layers of like this is the story of the narrator telling the story of the creator telling the story of the like the inter so like asteroid city was a really good example of that and it's very similar to what he does here in the wonderful story of henry sugar where you've got ray fines narrating the story as roald dahl and then he's talking about the story of Henry Sugar, who talks about the story of a book he read about this author. So it's like multiple layers of storytelling in that. In in this one specifically, I think it does really well. And what you said before about the whole like, oh, he said, she said thing. It like really builds this whole narrative about why Wes Anderson loves storytelling so much. I think that's really fascinating to me. He really likes to tell stories. And I think this does blur the line between like a library. It, it kind of feels almost like like a librarian telling like a picture story. Like you could just listen to this as an audiobook because it has all the, like the narration and the third person omniscient point of view, but it also it has this whole film accompaniment to it as well. It's really strange and very unique, I would say. Um, and some people might find it irritating, but I find it very cool. In terms of recommendations on whether to watch this series or short films, I would definitely, definitely recommend Henry Sugar. This is kind of like, if this was a K-pop album, it would be the title track. It's like the headliner to this. <laughs> y'all are y'all are really going with the 
music <laughs> like Ethan saying discography yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. like oh this one's the track list for Is your bias in the Wes Anderson troop of actors that Patel, like, Mary in every single one of his movies Dev Patel, my bias, my alt bias. Dev Patel made his Where's Anderson movie debut in this, and he's so good. If you like Dev Patel, by the way, you should watch the short film that's called Poison, which he also is like the main narrator for that, and he is so good in that. Like he narrates so fast in that. All the narrators in this speak really fast, but Dev Patel might be the fastest speaker of them all. Um, if you like Richard Ayoade, watch the one called The Rat Catcher, in which he is the one who is narrating. And The Swan is one you should watch if you really like Rupert Friend because he basically, like, reads the whole thing and, like, plays all the characters um, in that. It's kind of, like, literally, like, a reading with, like, a really good actor kind of feeling. If you have, like, a spectrum of, like, movie to, like, librarian telling a story, The Swan is most on, like, the librarian telling a story part of the scale. So, yes, this is very enjoyable. Um Henry Sugar definitely is like very visually sumptuous. The others are lower budget, although they're all pretty because it's all Wes Anderson. You know, he can't really make things that aren't in his very specifically like highly refined pastel symmetrical Wes Anderson style. And that's all the thoughts I really had about it. Um, what else? Jarvis Cocker appears randomly in Henry Sugar, and that's crazy because he's like a man I've seen in real life. Anyway, cool. See you in the next segment. <laughs> Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation on Sin. You guys just heard a collection of tracks by Asian artists from all over the world, starting off with Bad Intentions by Yuna, who is a Malaysian artist. And before that, you guys heard A Night to Remember by Biba Dubi and Lofi. And even more before that, you guys heard Call My Name by Sunmi, who is a Korean artist. Now for our last little movie news segment um, to kind of round off the talk segments of the show... We will be talking about the movie The Boy and the Heron, um, which, if you didn't already know, is the mysterious Hayao Miyazaki movie that only released a poster for promotional materials. Um, but yes, it is now out in Japan, and recently um, they announced the cast for the English dub. And Xenia, while she was in Japan, had the opportunity to watch it, so we'll also be hearing a little bit about Xenia we will also be hearing a little bit from Xenia about her thoughts of the movie. Um, but yeah, without further ado, let's go right along to the movie review. Hello. Um, in Hello. lieu of what has happened to become a very movie-centric show this week, we are going to talk about a recent cast announcement for an anime film that is coming to Western theatres sometime soon, hopefully, called The Boy and the Heron. If anyone is an anime fan out there, I'm sure you've heard this is Hayao Miyazaki's last... <laughs> last question mark last citation needed <laughs> but i've heard from you too that he's planning on working on another one like there was this big hoo-ha about this being like his first movie in like 10 years or something before he shuffles off to permanent retirement but no he is shuffling off to make another movie after this apparently apparently yeah and then I remember because we actually talked a little bit about this movie like way back when it was announced that Studio Ghibli was coming out with a new film because this was the film that was notorious for having no promo besides Hayao Miyazaki's name there and the 
last film he's ever gonna make <gasps> but yeah now it's as Zenia mentioned not out here but it's been out in Japan and now seems like it's slowly starting to get in the works of potentially coming over to the western world in a English dub version and they've unleashed the voice cast and there is a reason why we're talking about it here on API because this cast is crazy business to me and listener you might also like have your jaw drop at this let's just go through it together shall we um um so the full english dub cast that they unveiled starts with the main protag being voiced by Kristen bale who oh sorry that's not the main protagonist oh my god (laughs) (laughs) shuichi maki which is Kristen bale's character is the main character's father okay cool thank you (laughs) i don't know who is voicing the main character because everything just starts with Kristen bale first on the list i assume That's the main character. Well, Christian Bale's probably the biggest star because he's already been in a Ghibli film, no? With being Hal and stealing everyone's hearts and being Hal. So following him, I'm I'm looking at a different one because I don't remember the characters' names. I just remember what they look like. So um, we've got Gemma Chan as Natsuko. We've got Willem Dafoe as the noble pelican. Robert Patterson as the grey heron. Yeah, there's also Florence Pugh as Kiriko, Mark Hamill as Grand Uncle, and Karen Fukuhara as Lady Himi. And then apparently there's also uh, Dave Batista, and he is the Parakeet King, as all these articles <laughs> are listing it as. And that's kind of like the main cast that has been revealed, the full list for the English dub. And uh, yeah, in like film world, this would be like a stacked cast for a like a Wes Anderson film or like. But a lot of Ghibli movies also have very stacked casts because like Hal was also Christian Bale, Josh Hutchison. Um, I forgot the Wicked Witch of the Waste. She was like a golden age of Hollywood actress. Yeah, and then Kiki's Delivery Service. I think Kiki was voiced by Kirsten Dunst. Oh my Um, god! So they're they're pretty yeah famous, but they I guess enjoy being behind the mic for Ghibli movies. Because Disney, I think, is the licensor mostly for Ghibli movies in the US. Yeah. Mm. I'm notoriously I mentioned this in the past, not a Ghibli expert. So I was like, oh wow, this is so stacked. I've never seen anything like this before. And Zedia just like throw the truth bomb in my face and was like, oh no. It's a normal thing in Ghibli world. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, okay. Because I don't know how big, like, the Japanese voice actors are in Japan. I don't think Hayao Miyazaki chooses them for star power like they seem to do in the US. Yeah, yeah. no. I think Robert Pattinson, for me, is one of, like, the biggest ones because I don't think he's voice acted he... in an yeah. animated anything ever. I don't think he's done anything of that scale before. I love that man. <laughs> yeah. Trust. Let's put that out there first. But he's I'm an interesting shocked. choice for that character, though. Oh yes, his voice from the Japanese dub is a bit more like old man croaky kind of oh, old man voice. No! <laughs> he's almost like a comedic relief character. I am Robert Pattinson, ride or die, and I'm going through it. But then also, technically, from the movie, I'm not sure if this is much of a spoiler, but Robert Pattinson's character is kind of the same as the Willem Dafoe's character, from what I remember. I could be wrong. Like an evolved version mm. of Willem Dafoe's character, I think. Yeah, so it's interesting. Oh what, yeah, I was I was the good. choice in 
I know, so I was gonna say, because, like, you were already jumping into, like, ooh, yeah, these characters, blah, 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 and I realized we should put the preface that, Zena, you have seen this film when in you Japanese, were... Japanese, very <laughs> limited dialogue. Yeah, when you were in Japan, when it came out to the masses, only in Japan, hence why you know you actually have all this background knowledge about these characters and stuff like that, but... I guess from your perspective, I mean, because again, you've seen the film and stuff like that. My bias will always be for House Moving Castle. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie was it was very much a Miyazaki film. I think JP mentioned it once. Is he heard on Japanese Twitter that it was just like Miyazaki being Miyazaki? Is there references to World War Two? Yes. Are there like kids and animals and like weird journeys that and characters that start off bad but suddenly become good? Yes. There's like that kind of, it's like everything that you know of Miyazaki. Is there planes? There's no planes, but there's birds all packed into one. Yeah, so it's 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 like, you know, his same quirkiness, also his way of storytelling and adding bits of like what it means to be human and mortal and nature and stuff like that. So there's definitely elements there. It is set during World War II. Yeah, but it's like an adventure film about a boy trying to cope with loss. I don't want to spoil too much. But I think my favorite part is like Dave Bautista's character is the king of the parakeets. The parakeets are like my favorite um, because they they eat humans. Excuse me. <laughs> so something to look forward to is just like the the wackiness of Ghibli, and I love it. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was still a good experience being in a Japanese theater. So much cleaner. Oh and my the god, the seats are so much better. Everyone's so quiet and you get a tray for your popcorn. And then by, everyone sits until the credits finish and then they all just kind of get up and then walk silently out the door. Are they like, wait, did it watch it because like it's that mentality of like Marvel movie mentality no, of like something's going to happen movies, or is that just like... Ghibli movies are just a black screen with white text. There's and nothing then, interesting. But then the audience, like everyone still stays until like the film yeah. turns off. I don't know if it's just an appreciation for the, the studio and its creators, but yeah, the oh dedication. God. But yeah, it's, I'm, sure we'll, I'm sure we'll see it. And Not then, since Lisa, then. you can <gasps> add to your very short list of Ghibli movies that you've seen. Oh, girl. <laughs> Come on, you have to watch it now. There's Robert Pattinson, Christian oh, Bale, no. <laughs> Florence Pugh. This is my gateway into the Ghibli world is Robert Pattinson's name. But I guess we're just going to have to wait and see when uh, this film eventually comes out. When? Who knows? Question mark. We're just going to have official to... release date. Yeah, no nothing yet still. But I guess in the future when it comes out, mayhaps you might hear us at APN give it a full-fledged review who knows but until now this whole casting list is what we've got and i guess let us know dear listeners what do you think on our social medias facebook twitter and instagram at asian pop nation goodbye movie mania here at <laughs> this has been a the movie mayhem show on asian pop nation on sin you guys just heard shape of the night by madam ping pong and before that you guys heard nichijo by official hige dandism in our show today we of course ran down all the movies that we watched recently and some of our thoughts about it we started off with past lives which is a much hyped korean movie we also talked about the creator which is a bit of a sci-fi movie that's not as highly rated but might be a bit underrated 
And of course, we delved into an animated movie called Nimona, which has been thrown around quite a bit, but it is finally out and animated. And um, yeah, we shared some thoughts about that. And we also talked about Wes Anderson, specifically some of his short films. Specifically, some of his short films, um, including the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Last but not least, we also spoke about The Boy and the Heron and how the English dub cast recently got announced and some of Xenia's experiences and thoughts watching the movie in Japan. I hope you guys enjoyed our movie special this week on APN. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and we hope to see you again next week. We are always on air on Tuesdays from 8 to 10pm and if you guys happen to miss any of our shows, our podcasts are around on Asian Pop Nation on wherever you usually find your podcast. Oh, 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 oh,